You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. I'm glad everybody's here this morning. Um, What an awesome time of worship that we've had. Um, I just was thinking, I've been uh, part of this church for 25 years, and uh, to sit under the leadership of this church for 25 years, it's just a blessing and a privilege. And I see a lot of new faces out here, and, and welcome. I hope you find a home here, and I hope you feel welcomed and loved. And as we uh, read in uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 this morning, it's in uh, the Chairback Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, take one. It's on page 933, but join with me as we uh, get into the Lord's Word this morning. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for his church, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, for he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can uh, gather and praise you and sit under the leadership of this church and grow closer to you and to go out and impact the world that we uh, are invested in every day. We just um, thank you for this time. Be with Jeremy as he brings the word and uh, help it to speak to our hearts in your name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Thirty years ago, that one of the most iconic commercials hit TVs everywhere, featured Michael Jordan with a catchy song in the background as he did these highlight reel dunks in the NBA. And then the video footage moved to kids at the school basketball playground trying to do the same kind of moves, tongue sticking out, then even the full-grown men and women attempting to follow his example. All these different frames of those pictures, and then Jordan drinking some Gatorade, all the while this catchy song's underneath it. I checked with some of the younger people in our staff team. They said, nope, never heard of that. But maybe a few of you who are like me, born in the 80s or a little earlier, you remember the commercial I'm talking about? You know the little tune? Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's all I dream to be. Boom, 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 boom. Sometimes I move. Sometimes I groove. 
like Mike, if I could be like Mike, oh man. Well done, Gatorade. That's a cool commercial. And I wanted to be like Mike. Only problem is, I wore husky size jeans. <laughs> I was what people call a whole milk kid. <laughs> So I'm out there at the YMCA, my tongue's sticking out, and I was just begging mom and dad to buy me a wristband that I could put, not on your wrist, on your forearm, thank you very much, don't know why, my forearms never sweat, but that's what Mike did. And between Little League YMCA and that Nerf hoop in my basement, man, in my mind, I was like Mike. And that's what me and my friends all wanted to be. I mean, to this day, people wear Jordan shoes. Kids, maybe you've heard of Jordans. That's who it is. Real talk. Uh, Jordan had a 48-inch vertical. Google tells me he's best jumper there's been known. He had a 48-inch vertical. And if somebody invented a pill that would give you a 40-inch vertical for just like an hour or two, like I'm still so committed to being like Mike, I would pay a lot of money for that pill. For just two hours, I would take it before the Thanksgiving alumni game in Bennington, thank you very much, and I, would, and I would be happy to make that my last game of all time. And I would just join the Phi Slamma Jamma Club, and that's the kind of influence that commercial has had on me. Well, that Gatorade commercial that really cemented Jordan's iconic status as the cultural hero, at least for folks like me, happened all that time ago. And now that it's 2023, we can appreciate why Gatorade is still trying to do the same thing. I don't know if you've seen any commercials for Gatorade recently, but Jordan's not on them. And uh, coached some middle school girls basketball. They don't even know who Jordan is. Some people think LeBron's a better basketball player. <laughs> yeah, right. But we've replaced cultural heroes with new ones, and... That's why Taylor Swift gets all the popularity and Patrick Mahomes being so popular in this city and I suppose the world. And there's other influencers <laughs> that are trying to tell us, be like me, follow me. And they may not have a catchy Gatorade commercial. And then some of you adults, you may not actually recognize these names, but here's some folks that are influencing culture for teenagers. David Dobrik, Kylie Jenner, PewDiePie, Emma Chamberlain. Like Jordan in my culture, like these celebrities in current culture, we are all obsessed with celebrities. And our culture is trying to convince us who we ought to be like. But inside the church, should we be buying what the culture is selling? Inside the church, should our kids, should our children, should our teenagers be dreaming of being like Mike? Well, this morning in our text, Paul is going to outline the kind of person that the church should affirm. Paul's going to outline the kind of person the church should be recognizing, and then by conclusion, what kind of person the church should follow. 
And spoiler alert, I've never seen a Gatorade commercial for this kind of guy. (laughs) This morning, then, three questions that will walk us through our text. Who are we affirming? Who are we recognizing? Who are we following? That's the map of our sermon. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open the 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7? If you're newer with us, we're always so glad to have you join us as a guest, as is our uh, style here at Mill Creek. We pick a book of the Bible and we march right through it. And this morning then, we're coming to leadership. And the question that kicks us off is, who are we affirming in God's blueprint for a strong church? Who are we affirming? Look with me there at verse 1. And we see Paul quoting a trustworthy saying, like a popular proverb that folks in that culture would have known. Paul says, hey, this proverb is true. Basically, it's, if a guy desires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That's what Paul's saying. If a guy desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, right off the bat, that idea of overseer, that's kind of a weird word because um, I don't think I've ever heard us use that word here at this church. Or if you're using it, you never use it around me and I never use it. But I found this little quote from the ESV Study Bible really helpful. The terms overseer, elder, and pastor or shepherd, they're all used in the New Testament to refer to the same office. And so what I want you to know is what, what we at Mill Creek call an elder or a pastor is the same word for overseer. They're all synonyms. Now again, in case you didn't know, um, pastors are elders, elders are pastors, even though oftentimes the way we talk here, it's like, if you're paid, we call you pastor. <laughs> If you don't get a paycheck from the church, we call you elder. Um, But the way it works, of course, is all of us, paid or unpaid, are all equal as overseers to use Paul's language. I just want to make sure you understand what we're talking about. So that in modern, in Mill Creek language, in our vernacular, what Paul's saying is, if you desired to be a pastor elder at Mill Creek, if he was here, that's what he'd say. Men, if you desire to be a pastor elder at Mill Creek, you desire a noble thing. Now, again, I can't get too far without making sure you know who our pastor elders are. So I've got a slide of our 15 pastor elders that I want to show you. This is who the overseers of Mill Creek are. Maybe you've seen a few of those faces. Maybe there's a few of those faces you don't quite know. But this is who is serving right now as our pastor elders But again, in the New Testament language, all 15 of us are shepherds, uh, elders, overseers, even though four of us are paid for that and give 50 hours a week toward that job. All of us are equally overseers, but already we're at this point, we might be wondering, why in the world is Paul taking the time to mention that this is a noble job? Well, remember the context of 1 Timothy. He's had to call out some false teachers already, and so it could be that there are some who conclude that because false teachers got called out, maybe all sorts of overseeing ministry and teaching is to be avoided. So Paul's correcting that. On the other hand, I can imagine 
Some in the Ephesian church thinking, you're a leader at a church? That's kind of second-class work. That's not that great. So for whatever the reasons are that are happening culturally, Paul wants to make sure the church realizes it is noble work to be an elder. And for us today then, church, it would be wise for us to take just one moment and ask ourselves, do we value the role of overseer the way Paul tells Timothy to value the role of overseer? Are we drinking Bible Kool-Aid when it comes to what's really important? Or are we drinking culture's Kool-Aid? See, here's what I mean. Like Jordan's Gatorade commercial and others like it, well-meaning Christians can have a tendency to encourage roles and works that have more to do with paychecks and prestige than it does with biblical leadership. Well, I want you to get that. We, church, can have a tendency to think and speak and, and encourage people in ways that value power and prestige over pastoral ministry. And look, I'm just as guilty as anybody in here. In fact, this, this text is correcting me too. This verse particularly, what it brings up to me is this tendency that I have. Like if an athlete walked in here and we all saw it, I too would have this like, wow, that's really impressive that you're a professional athlete. Or if somebody had an Olympic medal, or somebody's a CEO, or... Somebody's been on the front of a national magazine. I'm impressed too. I think that kind of celebrity status is cool. And I would naturally just give some gravitas to that person and think it's really noble who they are and what they do. And that carries over even to the way that I talk to my kids. I mean, for years when I'm dreaming with my children, I talk to them about, wouldn't it be cool if you could be in the Olympics? Wouldn't it be cool if you were president? Wouldn't it be cool if... And I've never thought to myself to say, wouldn't it be cool if, if you aspired to follow the example of noble elders in your local church? I've never encouraged them to like, hey, maybe someday you could grow up and you could be a really wonderful member in a church of Christ. See, one of the places this is correcting me is that I'm, in I'm encouraging popular culture more than I think I'm encouraging the message of God's word. And, and it's got me asking myself, do I believe that the office of overseer is actually a noble task worth encouraging people toward? And that's the question that I'm asking you to consider. Do you believe what Paul is saying here, friends? That if your, if your sons, or your spiritual sons, okay? I know not all of us have kids, but some of us have kids, some of us have sons. Even if you don't have a son, whoever kind of your spiritual sons are, do you believe that if you were to look at them and say, hey, if you desire to be a pastor, that is noble. Do we believe that? I want to believe it. Are we discipling our kids to believe it? See, look, uh, teenagers. Maybe we don't have a million teenagers in the room right now, but, but teenagers or kids. Let me talk to you for a second. 
someday you're going to grow up and God willing, you're going to launch out of your parents' home. Okay, no parents said amen, so I trust that everything's going okay there and that's the plan, yeah. God willing, you're going to grow up, you're going to launch out of your parents' home and, and young men, you are going to get annoyed by how many people ask you, what are you going to do? What are you going to study? What are you going to major in? Well, what's next? You're, that, that question is going to come at you over and over again. And what I'm suggesting is if you, young man, thought to yourself, independent of whether you go to university or not, or trade school, or ever get more education, or whatever your career ambitions are, if you were to anchor in your heart right now, when I grow up, I hope to have the character and noble opportunity to be an overseer of a church. What I'm telling you, young men, is if you lock that in right now, that is good. That's good. We need young men to grow up to be godly elders in God's church. And that, may not, that answer may not satisfy some people, but it's a wonderful answer. Young women, hear me clearly someday. You too, girls, teenage gals, you're going to get launched out. Somebody's going to ask you, what are you going to do? And you're going to be asked that more times than you can imagine, and it'll annoy you. And whatever you decide to do, career, education, proceed with those things, my guess is, ladies, there will be some guy who asks you out on a date, and you're going to have to decide, what kind of guy am I going to let myself go on a date with? And while our culture may try to convince you that being a wife and a mother is second class, somehow our culture thinks that that's reserved for weak or passive women. What we saw last week about being a wife and a mother is that it's one of the most incredible and unique roles and it's beautiful and God has given it only to you. And God has a special design for you ladies. And so as you consider your future, if, if some guy asks you out on a date, there are a bazillion kind of qualities you may want in a future spouse, ladies, but I'm telling you, if you could get a guy who's dreaming about these kinds of qualities, man, you've got to keep her. You've got to keep her. And I'm not saying you have to ignore all the other qualities you want. I hope he can square dance and I hope he writes poetry and he sings musicals with you or whatever you're looking for. In fact, Nathan Everline, one of our elder board chairs, he helped me with this. He said, man, I'm praying for my son that he grows up and has these qualities. And he said, and I'm praying for my daughters that they would grow up and have these qualities too. And that their spouses would have these qualities. Oh, that we would acknowledge how valuable biblical character is in our culture. Here then, church, is a takeaway I'd love for you to write down from this first point. Affirm what Paul affirms. Affirm what Paul affirms. Recognize eldering as an honorable and noble task. Affirm what Paul affirms. But if we're actually going to do that, why then? We've got to know what, in fact, we are affirming particularly. Like, how would we recognize the kind of person an elder is supposed to be that takes us to the second question in this sermon? Who are we recognizing? And we're going to draw this from verses 2 to 7, and this is the longest part of our text, and it's going to require you the most work 
to listen along. I'm going to be working hard, so lean in here. Because in verses 2 to 7, then, is the blueprint for a kind of leader a church should look for. This is not a comprehensive list, but there are plenty of qualities. Fifteen, in fact, by my count, that we should consider. Fifteen. So the first is above reproach. An umbrella term that all 14 of the rest could fall under, be above reproach. Not looking for somebody who's sinlessly perfect. No one qualifies, if that's the case. But in the form of an elder or pastor, you're looking for somebody with a good reputation. That's what above reproach means. No outstanding immorality or disqualifying depravity. Secondly, a church's leader is to be the husband of one wife. In case you didn't know, there's been a ton of debate in churches like ours about what that actually means. Because some think he's actually got to be married. And others think, as I do in every commentary I consulted, well, then Jesus and Paul wouldn't qualify to be an elder of the church. So it can't be that he has to be married. No, this second qualification, I'm convinced, is requiring marital faithfulness as the necessary qualification. John Stott says it better than I can in his commentary. Let me read this. Men suitable for eldership must themselves have an unblemished reputation in the area of sex and marriage. Irrespective of your marital status, an unblemished reputation in the area of sex and marriage. You might have more questions about that. Please come visit with me. I'd be happy to chat with you about that one. Back to our text, the next three qualities in Paul's list can be thought of together, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, meaning that a person must be disciplined and serious about spiritual matters. They must be self-controlled, living in a spiritually respectable way. Sixth on Paul's list of 15, and Yes, we're going through all 15. Sixth is hospitable, which doesn't mean just that a man must be able to host some sort of Christmas party and have neighbors over. Rather, Paul's wanting the church to understand that the kind of leader that you want has a warmth toward outsiders and the lonely because churches, we are full of people who feel like we're outsiders and we're lonely I mean, one of Satan's great lies to many of us in this room is we think we're the only ones struggling with something and nobody really understands us. That's why we need hospitable types of leaders to welcome and care. All types of people in all types of ways need to be welcomed. That's what elders must do. Seventh quality, able to teach. Here then the positive contrast from last week's sermon. So many of you showed up again from last week, so... God bless us all for making it through that text. If you missed last week, go listen to that radioactive sermon, yeah? Last week, what we learned is women are not to be the primary teachers and spiritual authority in the church. Begs the question, then who is? Here's the answer. The elders. The elders must be able to teach. And that doesn't mean that every elder must be able to stand up and preach a sermon the way I'm doing right now. But everyone who's going to be one of these spiritual overseers must be able to teach in some capacity. And this then is why eldership is limited only to men. 
because the spiritual authority and teaching in a church is only for men. That's what we saw. Verse 3 brings us to the eighth requirement, not a drunkard. I hope everybody here knows drinking and teaching does not go well together. Do not try it. Drinking and teaching is never a good idea. And note, Paul could have said abstinence, but it's not demanded. Though in some situations, it may be better. But for elders, moderation is the mark. Quality 9, 10, and 11, again, can be connected from the text. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Elders should be known for their sweet reasonableness. I took that from a commentator with the last name Arnold. Not our elder, Curtis Arnold, though he's probably said stuff just as important and thoughtful, yeah. But sweet reasonableness. I like that description. Pastoral leaders should be sweetly reasonable, not not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. We're not to be Gumby, that cartoon, stretchy character that can just get pushed over. But we're not the Incredible Hulk. Not Wreck-It Ralph, bulldozing people. Twelfth, not a lover of money. You don't become an elder to worship wealth. False teachers might do that, but that's not what Christian leaders do. Thirteenth quality brings us to verse 4. An elder must manage his household well and with dignity, and that includes submissive children. Notice Paul's not demanding that every child profess faith in Christ, though that would be wonderful if that was the case, but that's not the qualification. The qualification is children who would respect him, who are submitted to that man, that dad. And of course, the reasoning is, if there's a man who can't lead his household well, how is he going to lead God's household well? And here, notice, is the only competency in this entire list. Have you noticed the kind of things that Paul's looking for aren't skills, except this one. Everything else is character. The question here that elders must regularly assess and those aspiring to be an elder should evaluate is, how's it going in your household? How's it going in your household? Are you caring well for your spouse and kids if you have them? Because your ability at home determines your ability in the church. Two qualities remaining. Verse 6, elders must not be a recent convert. Even if a person has incredible capacity. I mean, they may be God's gift to every role within the church. And this is a shooting star. If they're a recent convert, you don't make them an elder. They've got to be proven first. I've heard it said that before a man can lead God's church, he has to be humbled first. And of course, many see that pride is the first sin in our world as Satan fell. It's a sad day when a pastor's character can't keep up with their competency. So elders must not be a recent convert. Finally, verse 7, the last quality, elders must be well thought well of by outsiders. Must be 
well thought of by outsiders. Not that our culture is going to love everything that an elder teaches. Not that there's going to be some Gatorade commercial of our elders saying, oh, look how wonderful they are. No, my guess is culture won't actually appreciate what biblical elders stand for. But as far as their outside reputation, there shouldn't be any egregious or horrible accusation that could be made to an outsider. Elders should have neighbors who go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know them and I think well of them. Even if they disagree with our theology. The outside world should have no reason to question an elder's character, which is exactly the kind of snare Satan would love for elders to fall into. Notice, church, the deeply spiritual battle church leaders, elders are in here, and the enemy is gunning. The enemy is gunning for the elders of any church that's seeking to be faithful to the gospel and God's word. The enemy would love if the world thought lowly of Mill Creek elders. I think this quote from New Bible Commentary gets it exactly right. A great deal of damage has been done by those elders whose inconsistent living has been noticed and criticized by the non-Christian world. Here then, 15 leadership qualities church elders must possess. 15 qualities prospective pastors should have. 15 qualities we would love our young men to aspire to, our young women to aspire to, even if they don't hold the office of elders, the kind of people we want to be. Here's the question then. Are these the qualities that we're looking for in church leaders? Are these the kind of qualities we're looking for, church? Because if you didn't know, the way it works here is you all have to vote on who's going to be an elder here. Every one of those 15 guys has been voted on here at some point. Are these the kind of men you want leading with these qualities? Because too often we forget these qualities and we just figure, man, if you're some business baller out there who's been really successful or you're just independently wealthy because you're an entrepreneur or... You're just really charismatic. Put them into spiritual leadership. We ensure weak churches if we're not recognizing biblically qualified men. We ensure weak churches if we're not recognizing biblically qualified men. No wonder some churches are having such a tough go of it if they've got the wrong framework for what's honorable and noble, if they have the wrong criteria. And good luck building a strong church if you have weak leaders. Here then, Mill Creek, the second takeaway. I'd love for you to write this down if you're taking notes. Recognize the leaders who fit elder criteria. Recognize the leaders who fit elder criteria. Let's make sure the rubber hits the road here. Members, someday we're going to have a vote again for elders, and we don't have anything on the horizon. There's nobody we're doing this with anytime soon, but we will eventually in the life of the church. Elders will be put before you for a vote, and what I want you to do is evaluate that candidate by this list. And honestly, take any of those guys that were up on the screen that serve right now as elders, and you can evaluate us by the same list. For those of you going on the church plant to Gardner, 
Man, talk to Jonathan about the qualities that we want in the future, de- the future elders of sojourn. And, and if you're going on the core team to church plant down in Gardner, seek to be this kind of a person. Whether you're male or female, seek to have these qualities more so than recognizing the cultural qualities that often get celebrated. Here then, we finish the second question, who are we recognizing? And it brings us to our third, the last part of this sermon, who are we following? Who are we following? See, I find this third question implied in the text, but it's also on my heart, because if you didn't know one of the ways that Paul talks to Timothy, one of the ways Paul writes in other letters is, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that, that heart attitude that Paul gives in like 1 Corinthians 11, 1, or in the second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to train others also. There's this picture that Paul gives of, I'm trying to follow Christ, and you follow me. And that, honestly, that's the heart of our elders. And we want to know who you're following. And I don't want you to walk out of this passage without realizing our elders are actually trying to be the kind of people that you can follow. Not perfectly, not sinlessly, but we're trying to offer you an example to follow. And I know that our culture has an allergic reaction to authority and hierarchy and the accusation will be made, oh, this is just some power grab, but best we can tell, it's the model Paul in the New Testament provides. And know this, in becoming elders, we put a bullseye on our back for spiritual warfare, but we count the cost and we raise our hand and we say, church, best we know, we're trying to be elders, we're trying to shepherd the church, we're under shepherds of the great shepherd, but follow us as we follow Christ. That's what we're trying to do. And I'm wondering, who are you following? Who are we following? Here's another quote from Stott. The health of the church depends very largely on the quality, faithfulness, and teaching of its ordained ministers. And so if we're following God's blueprint for a strong church, we need strong elders. And we need strong church members who are following the elders' example. So are you following elders as they're seeking to follow these qualities? But pastor, you might be thinking, I'm nothing like those 15 qualities. Maybe you look at this list and you just go, man, I'm glad I'm not one of those guys and I never want to be. I'm never even going to get close to it, so why try? If you're here and you're thinking to yourself, I am so demotivated based on that high bar that Paul just set for church leadership, I have no interest in even seeking to be that kind of a person. Here's what I'd say. I'd say thanks for being honest. I appreciate your perspective that sometimes seeing the bar feels very discouraging. But let me also rush to say, none of the men who serve right now as Mill Creek elders, none of us are self-made men. None of us have pulled up our bootstraps and just decided we're going to go to work and we're going to King Kong this thing. 
None of us have become elders by trying harder. None of us are in this position because of something we've done in our strength. And you don't have to take my word for it. Ask any one of the elders. Did you will yourself into this role? Did you just try harder and you're just stronger and better and that's why you became an elder? No. The only reason any of the Mill Creek elders are elders is because Jesus changed our lives. That's how that works. It's Jesus who has changed our hearts and transformed us from having an identity that is a child of wrath into a child of God. And as you walk with Christ and as you seek to allow your heart and soul to be shaped by the potter, he begins to shape you and he changes not only your heart, he changes your desires. So you actually wake up and you realize, I want to be the kind of man God calls me to be. That's how that changes. So, so whether you're male or female in this room, if you find yourself going, man, I just don't really have any desire to change, well, then that's, that's the heart issue to get to because the only way you're going to find a heart to change is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where you need to start. Praying and asking, hey, Spirit, change my heart so I want what you want me to want. None of us make it here on our own strength. Please get this, church. This is the best part of the sermon. Only Jesus can change any of us to be the kind of people who desire these qualities. Because when we look at Jesus, we see he was the true man who was above reproach. Jesus Christ was the perfect man with sexual purity. Look at the life of Jesus. He was self-controlled. He was hospitable. He was gentle. He is the perfect teacher, the perfect overseer who came to earth as the perfect elder, perfectly teaching, perfectly preaching, perfectly shepherding, standing firm against the devil's condemnation, perfectly avoiding disgrace, perfectly avoiding Satan's snare, and yet he was killed for it. And he went to the cross. He went to the cross and he paid the sin debt for all the ways that we fail, for every sin that any elder has committed, for any sin that a church member has committed, for any sin that any of us have ever committed. He died on the cross and for those who by faith place their trust in him, salvation. And his resurrection proved his righteousness and by his stripes, the elders and the members of this church have been healed. And so it's only Jesus Christ who changes our hearts and makes us motivated to follow Christ and be like him. Look, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you don't claim to follow Christ, perhaps you're sitting here thinking, man, you're preaching about church leadership, and you just can't get over how many church leaders have tarnished the name of Christ. And so it all feels very inconsistent. Perhaps even the nature of me preaching the role of elders as a serving elder feels inconsistent and self-promoting. But even though other leaders have disqualified themselves, and even though lots of our elders make mistakes and we have to say sorry to one another, it doesn't mean Christ doesn't still save. 
And I think, frankly, if you're here and not a Christian, one of Satan's tricks is to try to get your eye off the ball. And he wants you to talk. He would love for you to spend all your time and energy talking about all the way people disqualify themselves instead of asking the question, are you disqualified from eternity with Christ? And that's fine if you need to like process some some pain or rage about former leaders and Christians who've sullied the name of Christ. We will listen to you and we want to care well for you. But a more important question isn't how many Christians have, leaders have failed. A more important question is, have you trusted in Christ for your salvation? Because in eternity to come, the question for you won't be, do you know the name of a bunch of folks who are awful Christian leaders? The question will be, have you trusted only in Jesus Christ for your salvation? And so who will save your sins, friend? Well, in closing, church, I'm dreaming of the day. I'm dreaming of the day when our church culture celebrates the kind of qualities that Paul celebrates. I don't suppose we're going to have a Be Like Mike Gatorade commercial jumping on the TV set anytime soon, but I'd love if our young people didn't grow up trying to be like Mike. They weren't necessarily going to take a pill to give them a 40-inch vertical, but instead they were watching godly examples and saying, yes, that's what I want to be like. I'm dreaming of becoming a church where we actually nurture and grow solid biblical leaders and then we launch them into other dying churches and into new areas that need churches and we start launching them into new neighborhoods and sending them to the nations so that Christ's name and his gospel would be magnified and thousands of years from now there would be all of this godly influence as a result of faithful Christians seeking to know and preach what God has put forward as his blueprint for a strong church. We want to affirm, recognize, and follow biblical elders. That's what we're trying to do. That's the sermon in a sentence. But it's only possible if we commit to following Christ and his blueprint. Church, who are you affirming? Who are you recognizing? Who are you following? Would you please pray with me? Now, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to walk through this scripture. And I pray, Spirit, you would accomplish what only you can. Would you guide and lead us as we seek to apply this? And I pray you would make us more like Christ as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.